Hello. 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 Hi. How are we all doing? Ah! My ah! eyes! Yeah, I finally figured out how to work how to how to, how to work the camera on this thing. <laughs> you know, I've only had it for about a year. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're Starfleet officers! Now start acting like it! Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple, Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Listen to the Prophets. I'm David Pascarella, and I'm joined this week by our producer, Paul Spataro. Paul Pataro, whatever your name is. I'm sorry. Sir, I think I misunderstood you. Are you saying that? I, you, my, you know, I went to say it right, but my teeth got in the way and tripped up my tongue. Actually, so I, 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 I'm not the producer of this show. That's a misnomer. I know, so but you'll David always... David Weider is the producer of this show. But you will always be the producer in our hearts and minds. Though Dave ever, does much you, better work. Have you ever listened to it? Does he make us sound smart? Me or Dave? Dave, I'm sure Dave makes us sound smart. Of course. So I mean, we don't we don't give him a lot of raw material to work with, but it's it's you know it's the expression is it's lipstick on a pig. <laughs> and of course we have Sir Andrew Leyland, the Fosus and Verily, and Doctor William Robinson. I am just a targ that has wandered off into the wilderness. I'm your only tug, but I'm your only tug, but I'm a little growling tug. But really, I'm not actually your tug, but I am. You know, you know, Andy, uh, what, you know, you're forsooth and verily there. That is how I picture people on, in your end of the world speaking all the time. Yes, also, we're so I, British. I, I also, in my mind, I see you all dressed as if you came off the Errol Flint set of The Adventures of Robin Hood. That's exactly what it's like. We're so British, we understand the offside rule. I don't even. They say, you know. Is that is that something cricket or is that in rugby? I don't no, know. It's it, football. It's football. It's when, play, it's, it's when you play that unreal. That, oh, soccer. Fo- football it. that isn't. <laughs> well, the the game of football where you actually kick the ball with your foot. Yeah, why is, is America? Football. Shouldn't football in America be called handball? I would think. Have a game called handball, and the kickers do kick the ball. Maybe it should be called kickball then. Maybe maybe they, we should just say soccer no longer exists and this is football and shut up. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's not important. I know it doesn't, but I just like being mean. Is there any Star Trek news? Well, they they started releasing, and by the time this comes out, it'll be moot. But they started releasing some uh, images from lower decks. I saw that in the paper the other day. Uh, Look, looks to me almost like the Teen Titans cartoon. Hmm. The, the animation, the animated figures look cute. 
I don't know how that's going to translate into a show. I don't really want to watch a cute version of Star Trek, but, you know, whatever. Well, if it's just, you know, that they're... I, I think it might be cute in an effort to set up a contrast, because I think the humor itself might be a little edgy, since it's... Uh, and I've never really watched Rick and Morty, but I understand that to be a little edgy, and it's the same people behind it. Oh, uh, and suddenly I've just reached for the off switch. I'm with you. I don't think I need any more edgy. I've watched like one episode of Rick and Morty. I watched one episode of Rick and Morty because people told me it's great, it's great, it's great, and I'm like, is it though? <laughs> See, my daughter likes it. She's 20, so that, that's what they're going for. That's if that's then that's that's the. Well, demographic they're shooting for so there you if go if you pull in a 20 year old demographic and that becomes the bridge for them to start being interested in the actual proper series that would not be a bad thing it's not meant for us and you know that's fine not everything has to be meant for us on the other hand i would you know just from a selfish point of view i'd prefer it's something that i could enjoy too yeah i just want a star trek show i like every week <laughs> i don't think that's too much to ask well when was the last time you had one um, one that I liked every single week without fail, probably Deep Space Nine. <laughs> you know, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna lower the bar a little bit because while Voyager pales in comparison, and while Enterprise had a lot of different growing pains, when I've watched those shows, I, I'm still entertained by them. I would like to just—it doesn't have to be a show that I'm going to say is one of my favorites, like Deep Space Nine is. It just has to be a show that's going to be entertaining to me every week. And even though Voyager, in particular, and Enterprise to a lesser degree, were not always top-notch as far as I was concerned, I did find both of them to be fairly entertaining, and I will accept that if that's what they give us. Yeah, the best episodes of Voyager I can I can sit and enjoy and watch. I, I don't know, I think maybe Voyager just suffered from still being 26 episodes a week, and some of them were just very, very boring. Enterprise, season three and four of Enterprise, I, I will actually put up there as being really, really good. Mm-hmm. I, I don't disagree, except for the very, very end of Enterprise with Ryan. Yeah, well, we, that, we ignore that, it, that last it, episode. It, it did a very poor job of sticking the landing. Yeah. So, but other than that, certainly season three and four of Enterprise were were some pretty top-notch stuff. And it was one of those where, when it finally got cancelled, you were like, "Oh, I wish I wish they hadn't cancelled that." Oh, my problem with with all of the uh, spin-offs of the original series is I kind of got into them. I watched the initial episodes of every series, and then I kind of stopped, and then caught up to them later. In you know. In my own version of binging with, you know, getting VHS tapes and recording them in syndication and catching up on them all. Uh, Deep Space Nine in particular, I think I watched the first two or three episodes. Then I didn't watch it again until probably season six. And at that point, they were still, you know, I guess in syndication, they were running them regularly. So I did manage to get all caught up before season seven began. And then season seven, I watched as it came out. But... Mm -hmm. The moral of that whole thing is that I was not being supportive of the show pretty much when it was on, and it's hard to expect them to keep a show running when you're not supporting it while it's on. You know, Voyager and, and uh, Enterprise, I really binged after the fact for both of them. Yeah, I, I only really got into Enterprise when it came on Netflix, and I actually really grew to quite... I, I think they may be my favorite crew after the original. I really like the characters in Enterprise. 
sometimes a lot more than I actually like the show. But that keeps you watching. You'll keep watching if you like the characters. Whereas with with Picard, I, I didn't dislike Picard as a lot as much as a lot of people did. Some things have come to light since the like Picard um, Patrick Stewart's list of demands that he didn't want to do, and you're like, well, you don't want to do Star Trek then. I don't want to be on the bridge of the Enterprise. I don't want to wear a uniform. I don't want to say make it so. Well, what? So why do you want to do the show? But I just found a lot of the characters in Picard to be hard work. And I don't think they all have to be likeable. I don't think they do. I think you can have unlikable characters. Breaking Bad and The Sopranos both prove you can have unlikable characters that you can still enjoy watching. But I, I, but I, you still have to find them appealing in some way. And I struggle to find a lot of the characters in Picard appealing. Even Picard himself didn't seem to be the same moral stand-up techno-shit guy that he was in the show. He just seemed to get keep getting beaten down by people who just seemed too happy to point out that he was being an asshole and how wrong he was. And I just like... I wanted, hubris. I wanted, yeah, I hubris. Wanted, yeah, the hubris. I just wanted at one point Picard to stand up and give one of his inspirational speeches that just put everyone in their place. And he never I did. surrender! I sur- oh, wait. I was Where just going to say, he showed you why he surrendered all the time in the series, because when he didn't, he got beaten down. No, he didn't always surrender. I'm just poking a bear. He always surrendered. So, you know, and Discovery, the, the, again, I don't find it... The people I like in Discovery, right, are the ones that are on the bridge that have never gotten anything to do. My favourite episode in Season 2 was the one about the big, tall, bald alien. Mm. The, that, was uh, a, that was a great episode. <laughs> The cyborg lady? No, I like the cyborg lady. Is which one's the one with the stuff on her face? Uh, the robot-looking one. Oh, the Is one she... that had her ha- like she no, like the in one the first like a half robot face. Yeah, like she like, was like it's half shaved because yeah, right. She, she didn't she, have she that hurt. in the first episode. She got right. hurt on on Shinz on the Shinzu, didn't she? Yeah. And when we saw her again on the Discovery, she she's obviously been augmented with cyborg parts. The other, the one that was about the cyborg woman, I thought that was a great episode. And more and more, I'm more interested in like the supporting cast than I am the regular dudes. Apart from Pike, with cyborg. yeah, we all want to be uh, Lee Majors or Lindsay Wagner, don't we? I want to be the Terminator. Do you know? Do you want to be the Terminator? Do you want to stick your thumb up when you go down in the lava? I want to go with William Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> nope, he's not here. <laughs> okay. But anyway, I this, look this for episode. New City. <laughs> well, I, on, as a segue from that, I, I've been reading the book Picard. That's the prequel. It's a oh. slog. It's a, it's a total history of Star Trek: The Next Generation. It's the prequel to Picard. <laughs> it's a novelization of seven seasons worth of television. <laughs> that would be better. It's a bit of a slog. It's a bit of a slog. Because it's all about. The show is a little bit of a slog. It's worse. The pilot pilot was good. The first three episodes that set the show up were good. And then I kind of think they lost their way a little bit. And this is. We've talked about this before. When your seasonal arc is disappointing, it drags the show down. Which is why perhaps seasonal arcs aren't always the best thing. It felt to me like 
Discovery Season 2, because I enjoyed Discovery Season 1 very much. I just want to keep, keep that as part of the record. I thought that was very enjoyable. Season 2 of Discovery and Season 1 of Picard, it felt to me like they never built up the momentum in the story. Like every episode, it's like you needed to reboot the momentum a little bit. And if you're going to have a season-long arc, you need to constantly be, not necessarily upping the stakes, but constantly setting up new challenges. And mm. I didn't feel like they were doing that. It was almost like it's almost like they had a season long arc, arc, but were trying to do episodic TV. Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping the Pike one goes more to episodic TV. If I, I'm hoping it either goes totally to episodic TV or it goes totally to season long arc. Don't don't try and straddle both fences because that doesn't seem to work. Although it worked in DS9, so, yeah, so I'm totally well, wrong on all fronts. <laughs> I, I think it worked for Buffy, Buffy Season 2 and 3 as well. The, the season-long arcs only really kick in halfway through, but the character arcs, the characters grow and change every episode and carry that with them. In the stories change every week. And I always think that may be the better way to go. The character arcs grow and develop over the course of a season, but every episode is essentially its own story. Yeah, but I guess you know it, it takes it takes a very careful plan to set it all up in a way where you're going to have that season long arc and then break it down into units that way that each unit will be satisfying and entertaining on its own. Now it seems to me that should be much easier to do in a ten episode season than it is in a twenty six episode season, as Buffy had to do and as DS Nine had. To do. Mm. And those two shows were able to successfully do it. So these shows should be able to do it. But I think, you know, sometimes they probably get bogged down that, you know, they, they come up with a list of things they want to do, and then they try to fit them to the arc instead of coming up with the arc and seeing what you could do within that framework. I don't know if that's the case, but sometimes I think it feels that way. I, I think it just got to a point where some there were some bits of Picard where you're like, I just want to see him on a, on a starship taking command. It didn't feel like he was ever in command. It was the other guy. I would kind of like to see it be a little more positive, to be blunt. It's like it seemed like everything took a rather dark turn. And if I want dark, I could read the newspaper. Mm. I'll watch Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, I'd like a little positive, like something to look forward to for the future. And I get that the the argument from people is always Star Trek has always reflected the times. That was always what it was about. And I get that, you know, it's pretty fucking miserable at the minute. But Star Trek should be the antithesis of that. Star Trek should be, yeah, the 21st century sucked balls, but the 24th century is pretty cool, man. And you I, went and visited Rickard, Picard, Picard, Riker and Troy, and they were mourning the loss of their child. And you went and visited Data, and he got killed. And there's a part of me now that doesn't want them to put Worf on the show. And let, let's not sugarcoat the 60s and the 80s and the 90s as being this wonderful, wonderful time, which is, I think, something we tend to do with, you know, nostalgia eyes. But what do you mean? The 80s was perfect. When the, when the, in the 60s, when the original show came on, I mean, you had all sorts of social unrest and, and you know, assassinations and you know, different things going on that, you know, were, were certainly concerning. And in the 80s, you know, you had a whole bunch of economic stuff going on. Plus, you still had the Cold War going. Uh, you know, it's, it's not as if while these other Star Trek iterations were out, everything was sunshine and lollipops. So, you know, especially when we talk about the original series, which did have a positive view of the future, I think 
instead of trying to be a reflection on the times, it was trying to say, hey, the future's going to be better than now. Mm-hmm. So and it was I, one of know, the few things that, that did say that. And I, and I don't want to be hypocritical, because I don't think DS9 has that as its message, and I love DS9. So, you know, but, but, but I do but, think you, you can go back and forth a little bit on it, and I don't think you have to be, I don't think you have to be totally optimistic, but you should also shouldn't be totally dour either. But the thing with Deep Space Nine, I felt, or feel, is outside of certain incidents, overall the threat comes from outside the walls. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's a few. There was the shady admiral who wanted to declare martial. But the threat is ex- shady admiral. But the threat is from outside. We've gotten our stuff together. Yeah. And that's and not what I'm nine. saying. Deep Space Nine is this little pocket elsewhere that this thing's happening. The rest of Starfleet, everything's hunky-dory. Right, and I feel Picard kind of shattered a bit of that. Yeah. I mean, I get what they were going for with Picard. I get what they were trying to do. But I I don't know. It's, It's kind of hard to explain it. I didn't feel at any point that Picard got his moment in a show that was named Picard. Well, I think the bottom line is Patrick Stewart did have his his mm-hmm. things, and he, his 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 ultimate bottom line was if if all I'm doing is revisiting uh, TNG, I don't want to do it. So in order to get him to to be on board with doing it at all, they had to they had to give in to those demands. And when you give in to the actor, you have scenes where he races dune buggies. So you know. <laughs> so are you saying that's the worst scene in uh, Nemesis? I am saying that's the and it's and Generations as well. That's not Captain Kirk, that's William Shatner. That's paying too much that's giving the actors too much of an ego trip to get them on board in the first place. They're not, not playing only, the character anymore, they're playing themselves. Not when only are we gonna have you ride a dune buggy, but we're gonna totally saturate the lens with light and make mm. it look surreal. When he says to Picard Call me Jim. I could just hear him saying, "Call me Bill." <laughs> I still get a kick out of one of the like the captain's tables kind of thing, where when they're all talking, and uh, Shatner keeps calling Nimoy Lenny instead of Leonard or whatever, and and Nimoy is calling Shatner Billy. It just seems <laughs> just seem weird, you know, because I've never heard them referred to by anybody that way. Lenny and Billy. But we we have uh, an episode that we, that a lot of stuff happened and we have to talk about it. Okay, today's episode is season seven, episode nineteen, entitled "Strange Bedfellows." A pact of evil. We need the brain to win this war. A sentence of death. You will be found guilty and executed. A dangerous seduction on the next Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. This episode was directed by Rene Aubergenois Odo, written by Ronald D. Moore, featuring music by Jay Chataway, and its original air date was April 21st, 1999. Thot Gore, High Commander of the Breen Confederacy, presents Dax and Worf to the female changeling as a gift. The Breen are accepted into the Dominion, regardless of Damar's disapproval of the treaty and its consequences for Cardassia. Septimus III is attacked by the Klingons, and although Wei-Yung promises to deal with it, the 500,000 troops of the 11th Order are wiped out. Damar's mood worsens as Thot-Gore 
is allowed access to classified Cardassian information. You know, you got to be careful about catching that Septimus Three. Just saying. Well, a shot of penicillin clears it right up. <laughs> the mood in Quark's bar is somber as the crew misses Worf and Dax. Doctor Bashur talks O'Brien into realizing that he his friend is in love with Esri. Cisco isn't well either as his wife begins to become uncomfortable with being married to the emissary of the Bajoran faith. During a confrontation with their captors, Worf snaps Wayun's neck. Though, this is ultimately pointless, as Damar points out, as another Wayun clone will be activated. As Worf and Ezri are taken to be executed, Damar acts on his concern that the Dominion is no longer a good thing for Cardassia. He frees Worf and Dax, and informs them that he is willing to help the Federation. Dukat, in his disguise of Anjol, convinces Wynn to walk the path of the Paw Wraiths by promising that Bajor will be restored. Wynn receives a vision from the Paw Wraiths that frightens her. She calls upon Kira for advice, who advises her to step down as Kai. Wynn, disapproving of this advice, returns to Dukat for comfort and ultimately determines to accept the Paw Wraiths. So what did we think of that? I can't get the image out of my head of Ducat and Kai Wynn doing it. <laughs> this man who shares my bed? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they came right out and said it. Because you know she's into kinky shit, man. <laughs> and we know, we know that he's into a bit of bondage. <laughs> Only with Kira. So... The pair of them together, I just, I just, oh dear God in heaven. There's a mental image you didn't need. I did not need that, Deb. I did not need that at all. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's nice that, that, that they're happy, I suppose. There's a cover for every pot, as my grandmother used to say. <laughs> um, I loved Demar in this episode. I really, oh, I love great. it when Wolf snaps Wayun's neck. And he laughs. <laughs> that and and when when the, the new Wayun clone comes out and he laughs. Yeah, and he laughs again. No, I missed I missed him terribly. Jamal <laughs> <laughs> uh, was was brilliant in this episode. He was really my favorite character because he's gone through all of this so far and he's realizing more and more and more that they're just gonna get shat on. Cardassia is not benefiting from this alliance at all. All right, well, that's that's the thing I want to touch on first. Because I, I took some notes of things that we should talk about because I thought a lot did happen here. And the first thing is, was it realistic the way Wayun baited him? Because he really did. Yeah. He had to see where, where this was going. And, you know, what, what happens in this episode is somewhat minor in comparison to the fact that he right now is pretty much the leader of the Cardassians. So... You're running the risk of, of taking an ally that's that's providing you with a lot of military support and alienate them, alienating them. Is is that something that Wayun? Well, he certainly should have seen that he was doing it, but it was. Is is it realistic that he didn't see it, or is it realistic that he thought nothing could come of this? You know, that we're just too powerful to to be questioned. No, he I thinks the latter. He thinks Demar is a drunk and will just do whatever they tell him to do yeah he, he doesn't think he's got it in him to to push back that he's yeah, he, that he's always he been thinks, a toady and he's gonna stay yeah. a toady i agree but completely it, with bill i think he, he's got him cowed 
he thinks Bamar is his crush. So, so he's so he's being a bully and reveling in the fact that I can make you back down. Yeah, that's yeah. what you see it as. Because did, did I misunderstand you? Did you, did you did I hear you say that these areas were not the you know, property of the Dominion to give away, or or that the founder made a mistake? You know, he's he's like really baiting him. To me, it was like Darth Vader and Lando Calrissian. I am altering the deal. <laughs> yes, yeah, there is some of that definitely. Pray well, not alter it any further. He does count counter back with a to pacify him. When he says, "Well, once the Federation is crushed, you will have the pick of plant whatever planets you want." So just you know, we need to do this. We need these people. We need them on our side. So yeah, I, I mean this. I mean you could look at. I'm saying this is maybe what in Wayun's mind he was saying. Look, you're going to get other planets later. Just shut up. All right. Now Damar says after Wayun Seven's death, he says overconfidence, the hallmark of the Wayuns. So maybe Wayun's overconfidence also, you know, because he's been goading Damar, thinking he's got him kowtowed and that he won't 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 rebel. But uh, it didn't quite work out that way. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he thinks Damar's a broken man. <laughs> when in actuality, he's more like a dog backed into a corner. Yeah. And I, I love his reaction to it, though. Like I said, with you know, laughing at uh, at, at Wayun's death uh, and and his return, and then even when uh, you know when then he aids Jadzia and Worf in their escape, and you know he's playing dumb about it, but then he's like laughing at uh, Wayun when he has to report it to the founder. Oh, you know, maybe we'll get <laughs> we'll get Wayun number nine in here or whatever. <laughs> you gotta love that. So. But just to you know, just to go backwards a little bit, I, I love this episode. I thought this was terrific. I thought there's so much stuff in here that you know, this this is chock full of things going on. This isn't just a hold my place mm. until we get to the end. There's a lot of setup for future things. There's a lot of character moments. Yeah, uh, and given that this episode was problematic on all levels for everybody, it's amazing that it's as good as it was. The moving the wedding out of this episode into the last episode meant that this one was like, well, what the fuck do we do now? And then Ronald D. Moore was working on it, and then his wife went into labour. So somebody else had to come along and finish it. So the fact that this one ends up being as good as it is is quite remarkable. And I think it's a testament to how well the writing team were working together at this point. That If you didn't know Ron Moore had to take off halfway through this episode, it doesn't show anywhere. It feels meaty, and there's a, one of the complaints we had last time was that it felt like it was a little bit of wheel spinning. This one doesn't. This one, there's a lot going on, and there's a lot changes in the space of 44 minutes, and it's almost all on the Cardassian um, Dominion side that the story's focusing on in this one, and I think that's what makes it interesting. We're seeing all of the internal bickering that's going on on the other side of the fence that our characters aren't really aware of what's happening. And I think that's why it was so interesting to me to see Demar get his teeth back, like David said. Now, one of the things, I, I think the only thing in this episode I had a little bit of a hard time with, and it's something we've already kind of talked about, and, and it's something that I think is more by circumstance than it is by design. But... I'm still having a little bit of a problem with Esri Dax and the way she's perceived by everybody on here. Because when we when this series started and we got Jadzia and we saw the way her 
relationships developed with everybody, uh, in particular Cisco, who had a prior relationship, you know, with, with uh, Curzon. It seemed to me that there had to be a development of trust before, even though he started calling her old man right from the start. It did seem like they had to they had to develop a new relationship because it was a new host and there were different things uh, that were, you know, different character things about. Jadzia Dax as opposed to Curzon Dax. Now, because of the limitations of time, it feels to me like they're rushing along the relationships of Ezri Dax. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh, Quark is in love with her. He's, she's in love with, with Bashir. Uh, you know, Worf and her had to find out that they're not in love with each other. It just feels like we're really, really just on a uh, breakneck pace to show these relationships, and they don't feel earned to me. It's it's if we have a complaint about this season, it, has, it is that it's become the Ezri Dax show. I yeah. wouldn't mind if that's the case if it's done well, but in yeah, a lot but of it, ways I feel like it's just it shorthanded. Isn't. Yeah, it's they very much feel like they've needed to re- bring this character in, and then they felt like they've needed to get seven seasons worth of character development into her in the space of one season, so that she feels as developed and as rounded as the other characters on the show. And I think we've not seen a lot of O'Brien this year, and we've not seen a lot of Odo this year, we've not seen a lot of Bashir this year. And when we have, it's in service of fawning over Ezri. And I agree with you. I think there's been a little bit of a too much focus on Ezri at the expense of the other characters. And and I think unsuccessfully so. I think that, that we've focused on Ezri, but again, I don't think the character moments... It's not like, okay, this is a season of Ezri, and we've really seen her blossom into something. I still feel like they've taken a lot of character shorthand moments just to say, oh, yes, you know, like I said, like saying Quark is in love with her, which they're showing in this episode. He's all, you know, mm. pining over her not being there. We've had very, very little interaction between Quark and her this season. So, yeah, so and it's... The relationship it, doesn't feel earned. No, it's not the pouring of the drink for her. I like the pouring of the drink for her. It's the fact that Quark is madly in love with her. It's like they had to take it that little extra step that they didn't need to take it. Exactly. If if it had just been she's part of the crew and, you know, Jadzia was part and we welcome her as well, you know, we welcome Esri now, that all would have played well. And I, I, I could even accept a relationship developing between her and Bashir because, you know what, some relationships actually happen fairly quickly. Uh, but, but you know, like, she didn't even know she was attracted to him. Really? Really? You, you had no idea. You're, you're dreaming about him and talking about him in your sleep, but you had no idea that you're attracted. That doesn't she's, make any sense to me at all. She's very good at compartmentalizing. Clearly. And, <laughs> and, this, is, and this is your counselor. I mean, come on. But is she being influenced by Jadzia in being attracted to Bashir? Like a mixture of Jadzia's thoughts about Bashir? I think that's why she had the uh, intimacy with Worf was because of Jadzia. Yeah, but also I think 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 Bashir is meant to be her branching out on her own as opposed to following what the prior host, you know, had done. But if I remember correctly, like wasn't there something a few seasons back um, where she had said something to Julian, like you know, well, you know, maybe if you had kept at it, or I did like you. So I mean, I don't know. I don't specifically remember that comment. It may have happened, but I don't have any specific recollection. See, of all of it, I find the Quark being in love with her the least believable out of everything. Mm -hmm. I could see Quark being in lust with her, 
but in yes. love with her is a, is a completely different thing. What kind of interaction have they had that would lead him to fall in love with her? It's like as a kid you see an actress on the screen, oh, I'm in love with her. You don't even know her. Yeah, that's just, my point exactly, in a nutshell. Hey, hey, Olivia Newton-John is waiting for me. Just stop <laughs> it. I think you've had more interaction with Olivia Newton-John than Mark He just doesn't know it. Just wait, just, Bill is just waiting and biding his time. The fact that he got married had, had three kids, that's just biding his time. It's the placeholder. Yeah. And Olivia clearly you know, killed off a fiancé just to try and keep Shh. Bill in the picture. Shh. Don't you say things like that. You can reopen the investigation now. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry to bother you, but there's one thing that puzzles me about all this. So the, the other thing I wanted to talk about, uh, and this is, I think, the biggest meat of the episode, uh, is the whole uh, Kai Win with the power rates and uh, mm. the there's just so I'm much with meat. Kira. Yes. The, yeah. that, that scene with Kira in the middle of the episode was my favorite scene in the show. So where when Kira you, when thinks. You step down as, as yeah. When like, Kira thinks she's made a breakthrough, she thinks that 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 Kai Win has realized the error of her ways. That she's actually a money, a, pony, a power grabbing lunatic rather than actually devoted to her religion and the prophets. And Kira thinks she's got her there. And actually says to her, look, the minute you step down and devote yourself to the religion, I think that you'll feel better. And that step moment down, where Wynn's child. like, what? <laughs> step it's, down no. in our moment of triumph? Yeah. I think you and, overestimate your chances. And I love the way Kira just left the room. I thought it was wonderfully played by Nana Visitor. I just love that scene. I think that's that's a, a crucial and important scene in Kai Wynn's development. The realisation that we knew it all along, but the realisation from her that the power is more important to her than anything else. I thought that was great. And I love, as much as I've, I've riffed on the, on the relationship angle between her and Ducat, Ducat plays it perfectly. Go and crawl back and live in Cisco's shadow. He couldn't have said anything better to her to galvanize her in the way that he wants her to be galvanized well because it's almost like Ducat saying that about himself yeah and it's so those scenes are wonderfully written I love Ducat's manipulation of Wynn he knows exactly what he's dealing with yes but also it's so well written to the point that what does he think you know does Ducat really think he's on the side of the angels does Ducat really think he's the good guy in this story and you get the impression he does. That's why he's so brilliant. He's not a moustache-twirling villain. He honestly thinks he's doing the right things here all the time. And it's and, all And, and I feel the need to point out to you once again, Andy, to say you were wrong. Because you, you thought Ducat's <laughs> ah, story up. was done. <laughs> you and thought he yeah, had no useful purpose anymore as a villain. I didn't. I, I'd, I'd completely forgotten this stuff with Kai Wynn. It had completely gone out of my head. And it's it's ultimately my favourite part of this episode is the Kai Wynn plot line and the stuff with her and Kira and the stuff with her and Ducat. I love all of that. I think it's brilliant. From the depths of despair when she realises that Bob isn't doing anything, they're not talking to her, to the climax where she really just sets her own course. That that's That's the moment where Anakin could have turned away from the dark side and she doesn't. You know, it's funny that you'd say that because I had thought I looked at this at the very end of the episode where, you know, where where she and uh, Ducat are like, you know, wringing their hands and saying, ha, 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 the pirates and us are going to succeed, uh, that it almost set her up for a 
Darth Vader type uh, reclamation where mm. you know now she's totally on the side of the bed, but at the end of the series she could pick up Dukat and throw him into the fire pit and and you know and and become uh, you know a good guy again uh, in theory the way Darth Vader did. But uh, there's just so much there's so much going on emotionally with these characters at this point, which it's just that's what I loved about it uh, and. One of the things I thought was really, really interesting to think about is with the prophets. Again, you know, as we've talked about, they don't live a linear existence. So they kind of know where this is going to go, or at least they certainly should know where it's going to go. And they could easily just kind of appear to uh, win when she tries to find out and say, you know, don't be fooled by those pirates, <laughs> you know, and, and just move on. And, and she, she probably, you know, that weakness that she had would probably not manifest itself. But, you know, using her by by requiring that she have faith, you know, that's really what they're doing. They're saying, you know, you need to have faith on your own instead of having to to have us give you a sign. Uh, And that's not good enough for her because she doesn't have faith on her own. It's almost like the prophets are like the Jedi, that they're so above it all, they don't notice what's going on right in front of them. Maybe. Maybe, but I also I just think that you know like they're not going to cater to her ego in order to keep them keep her on their side, and they might also you know again having a non-linear existence they may ultimately feel that this needs to happen to be a test test of the Cisco. Maybe the prophets are like George Michael. You know they say you got to have faith, faith, faith. You got to have faith, baby. <laughs> But she, you know, she's, you know, I think her comment is they turned their back on me, you know, mm. as if they, as if they're supposed to cater to her because mm. she's they, the Kai, and she yeah. thinks I should have a direct, you know, microphone to the gods because I'm the Kai. Why aren't you talking to me? It's all about me, 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 me. You want to talk to the gods? Let's go see him together. <laughs> <laughs> I kept thinking she was channeling Frank Underwood before there was a Frank Underwood. There, there, is, there are many uh, character traits that are similar <laughs> between the two. It would have been great if at the end she turned to the camera and went, you didn't think I forgot about you now, did you? <laughs> uh, let's see, what else was there in here? Martok, ex- Martok explaining to Worf how when you get married you're going to lose all your stuff. <laughs> or no, no, to uh, to Cisco. It, it's uh, funny I'm to sorry. hear a Klingon talking about being henpecked. Yeah, but Cisco's already been married. What a what a man! That's jeez. Cisco should know all this. He's already been married. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, what is this? Is it shouldn't be anything new? Oh, I think I think the stage of marriage is very different. You know, Cisco was married to Jennifer when they were a young couple, having a child, and then being young parents, and then she was dead. I think, I think it, it you know, you, you, you deal with some more stuff when you start getting to empty nest syndrome and things like that. So it's a totally different stage. Now all of a sudden, you know, uh, she's, she's going to be like, you know, so what are we doing tonight? Oh, well, well, no, no, I, I was going to go over to, to Quarks. No, you're not. <laughs> How many more Bajoran collectibles do you need? How many more orbs do we need? <laughs> Are you just going to sit in the holodeck and play video games? Oh, wait. I think I'm projecting. 
<laughs> I think you guys are too. <laughs> I know nothing. Hey, I'm the only one in this call who's not married. You yes, again. Shh. <laughs> yeah, but I've only done it once, and so has Andy. You guys, mm. I don't know what your guys' excuse is. We're just so good at it. You got I out. Did, I only you got did out it and once. He sucked you back in. Well, that's because you're Italian. I only got married once. If you oh. hear snoring, it's my dog, not me. Liar. He's been snoring at my feet for a little bit here. So, I mean, I know from watching this before where the series is going, but be totally honest, it's been long enough since I watched this run of episodes that I don't remember exactly how we get there. And I'm very excited about watching further, but I'm trying not to jump ahead until we're ready to record because I want it very fresh in my mind as we talk about the episode. Now, this one in particular, because of some uh, fits and stops that we had along the way, I watched this one three times in order to record today's episode. <laughs> I did watch the next one ahead, but I've decided to stop because then I, I was getting this one and the next one confused in my head because they're all merging well, together is, yeah, so much. It, it's very ongoing. And, and that's something about this episode that I thought still worked out really, really well. Because of the way that they ended it, uh, I didn't feel like you know like we got only a partial episode because i kind of felt like we left it on a cliffhanger and the cliffhanger worked out well it's not like like last episode i think we kind of just left off and it felt like it should have been a two-hour episode that just ended abruptly and come back next week but this one feels like it is truly the ending of an episode with a cliffhanger that's saying come back next week but you still feel like you you know you didn't you don't feel like you ended it in the middle of an episode Mm. yeah this one felt like a full Episode. It felt like a packed episode, even though it ends with very much to be continued. Yes, and and it's funny that you should say about the production where you know they were originally going to have the wedding in this episode, so it was going to even be more packed. Mm. I, I, but but you know what? I, I'm really glad they did it the way they did because the only thing that they could have eliminated from this episode without it making it lesser, in my opinion, is the whole thing at Quark's bar with him pining over over Ezri. Uh, and I think if you had the wedding in this episode, you would have had to cut more out than that. And there's no other scene in this episode that I would have been happy with them cutting out. Because mm. even even the Wharf Ezri stuff was important character development. It's took them too long to get there. They should have had this conversation 20 episodes ago. But at least it was important for them both to right put it behind them that this isn't going to happen. And it also, you know, they're... they're moments in this, not so much that discussion, but there are other moments tied directly into Damar. Mm. So, you know, they did feel like they belonged here. Any any other points about this one? No, I think we've covered all the major ones. I just, uh, I just love Damar. I think Damar's brilliant in this episode. Mm-hmm. He's the standout character, definitely. Well, he's, he's certainly, any concerns that Casey Biggs had about... Uh, where this was going when they had that first episode where he really, you know, was not focused on the way he thought he would be. Uh, I think any concerns of that nature that he had are, are taken care of now. So uh, I guess we're going we're gonna to rate it now. Uh, we got anything to say about the Breen that we haven't said before? The, the Breen are kind of just the, aren't they? Yeah. The I mean, they're the very mysterious. Is, I sit there race. and I wonder, you know, like they, they're presented to us... Uh, just, you know, by exposition alone as being a power that's going to swing the uh, the fortunes of this war. Mm. And we just kind of take it on faith that that's accurate. I don't know whether it is or not, but it didn't 
like I didn't feel bothered by it. I didn't feel we needed to see it in order to to know. I just kind of accepted it. I don't know if you guys felt the same way or if you feel a little shortchanged that we should have seen the Breen in action in some way. No, because I don't think we need to see the Breen. It's not about the Breen. No, I, I think they're just a kind of a, a, a an asterisk. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, you know, they, this, this is, since you've stopped us from bringing in reinforcements from the other quadrant, here's how we're getting reinforced. Because we yeah. have this whole, whole other brace, this whole brace, this whole other race uh, that is warlike that, that have now sided with us. The only thing I've, I kind of wish we had heard of heard of them before. I, I, I don't remember hearing of them, did we, prior to this? The Breen? Yeah, they were in the, um, when they were all trapped on the prison, because uh, it's it the Breen. Two, se- two seasons ago? Yeah. No, no, when... no, I mean, I mean, in Star Trek, you know, like uh, the originals. No. No, not like the originals, the Iosis of the action, that would have been impressive. Or, or would, you, would you have been happier if it was the Andorians? No, they're part of the Federation. But it, and my, my thought is, you, you know, you wanted someone that they could at least present as being very uh, powerful in their own way. What was uh, what was the uh, the ones that, that plunged the, the knife into Picard's heart? The Narsicans? Narsicans. Narsicans. Maybe, the, maybe that would have been... Yeah, Which is good. But other than that, I have nothing to add. The Packlids. The Packlids. That would have been job, one. Yeah. We will talk you to death. We make things go. We will bore you, Ridge. Do we want to rate this one? I think we're there. I uh, I like this one. Like I said, Damar. Damar was the standout character. I like the humor with Ma talk. I was just over overall happy with this episode. I gave it. Four golden orbs. I actually had, you know, I have the spreadsheet out, and I had 4.0 written on it uh, before we started talking about it. And the more we talked about it, the more I realized I really, really like this one. So I actually upped it to a 4.5. Um, I will give it uh, 4.5 snap when you next. <laughs> <laughs> or four, four snap when you next and half a lost targ. Mm-hmm. Pour one out for the targ. Yeah, I'm, I'm going four as well. I think it's I think it's a really good episode. Your 4.0. Four. Okay, so that's what we think. But what does Blaine say? Well, you know, I'm beginning to wonder if uh, if Blaine is actually a Breen, because much like the Breen and Blaine, we wonder what do they say. I got no song. That's just my. Uh, yeah, I, was, I thought it was, that might be. It the, was like the. It was like a oral like poetry like. I thought that might be the conversational introduction to a song. Well, I I could go, Breen, 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 Breen. What do they say? Much like Blaine, we don't know. What do they say? There you go. Always always a song. Even even if you don't have a song, you got a song. Well done, Doc. Blaine says, Hi, guys. Kai Wynn's story moves into high gear. She's forced to face her own inadequacies, but doesn't like what she sees and makes the very non-Federation choice of pursuing personal power instead of stepping down as Kai and working to gain the forgiveness of the prophets. Add to this the commentary on marriage, i.e. Martok's war, I wouldn't trade for anything analogy, the Worf-Ezri dynamic, the visual of upside-down Ezri, and more. 
This and the next few emails may be brief because I couldn't help but binge on the rest of the series in a single afternoon. I don't want to spoil upcoming storylines for those watching for the first time, especially now. So if I'm not entirely positive that a given plot point was from this episode, I'll let that comment until later. Blaine. It sounds to me like Blaine was just as geeked out by this episode as we were. Yeah. That is it for this episode. Do we want to read any email? I think we have a couple. We do. Thank you for, that. Thank you for that response. The first email <laughs> is from Tissum Tissum, our buddy Ben, who uh, is commenting on Season 6, Episode 21, The Reckoning. Listeners, glad you, especially Paul, had fun with this one. I guess I'm getting a reputation as somebody who doesn't have fun with these. Uh, This episode made me realize how malleable my opinion is shaped by reviews. I sort of absorbed the opinion of my first online Trek reviewer, the great Tim Lynch, giant of Usenet for younger listeners. Usenet is an Internet thing that used to be a thing, who was (laughs) riveted by the reckoning and viewed it as an epic. So I sort of had it in my mind as an epic. Then I ran into others who thought the whole thing was just silly and started realizing, yeah, it's pretty silly. And then a few years ago, Zach Handlin, the AV club, started watching through classic Trek and embraced the reckoning as a bit of a lark that climaxes with what can only be described as a wizard fight. And now I'm totally on board with that episode in that context. It somehow tries to turn a battle between order and chaos into some such into or some such into character-based drama and it's actually pretty successful i like the idea of cisco's increasing involvement with the prophets sucking everyone into his in his orbit into this ancient cosmic war without regard for who gets hurt in the process the biggest demerit which will be more of a problem with season seven than it is with this episode is that the actual prophets power wraith story is only interesting as something for our humanoid characters to react to so here it's nice to see someone other than cisco or Dukat put front and center in a power wraith episode also the last three episodes in a row have been a dark morality play a romantic comedy set in vegas nightclub and a wizard fight so credit to DS9 for exploring boundaries of what sorts of stories it can tell. Although I love watching and discussing DS9, I don't think I'll have much to say about the rest of Season 6, even if you, as noted, enjoyers of Garbage Ferengi episode... Excuse me, of Garbage Ferengi comedies enjoy Profit and Lace, which by now you know we did not, Ben. Uh, it, won't, it won't be as personal as it was with certain other terrible episodes. So don't expect a multi-paragraph rant. I mean, I do hate Profit and Lace as much as the next Niner, but my dislike isn't based on anything that 400,000 people haven't already noted. And then there are some other episodes that exist, but as we say goodbye to Season 6, take a moment to look over the episode list and remember what what an interesting and diverse year it was with a whiplash in tone and quality unlike probably any other season of Trek. Best Ben. Thanks thanks once again for your... uh, your thoughts, Ben. I, I appreciate them, and for the most part, I kind of agree with everything you're saying. Except we didn't. I don't think we really went back and forth on the uh, reckoning the way you did because we didn't have that same experience. Uh, you know, I think I think we were all pretty positive on that one. Let me just take a quick look on the press spreadsheet. Uh, the reckoning. I gave it a four. Andy gave it a three. Andy hated it. Bill gave it a three point seven five, and Dave hated it too with a three. You guys are really just carrying the show right now. I got to tell you. <laughs> Does anybody else want to? Read You're doing that? such a good job. 
I don't have access to the email. We're so enthralled with your voice. Well, yeah, that makes you very that makes two of you. The dulcet tones. Mm. Oh, they're, they're mm. dulcet, all right. <laughs> do you want me to read Chip's email? Yes, I do want you to read Chip's email. Would it please you for me to read Chip's email? Andy, you, you've you've <laughs> spent a lifetime pleasing me. <laughs> yeah, but you said you'd never tell anyone we were in prison together. <laughs> were, were you hanging upside down? Hanging upside down together. Okay, Chip Mullins Jr.'s emailed in. Been a while. Hello, Chip. Hey, guys. Just listened to your episodes on In the Pale Moonlight and His Way and had some thoughts on these and the episode Valiant, which you will have released by the time you read this. I love In the Pale Moonlight. You can just feel the turmoil and conflict within Cisco about his actions in this and using Garrick and all the things Garrick ends up doing just hurts him. You all have speculated whether or not Cisco told anyone higher, but I don't think he did. He seems to take all the responsibility on himself. And if he'd received a go ahead or we won't look while you do this type of response, some of that responsibility would be gone. Lastly, the episode before this, Inquisition, were introduced to Section 31, and all the DS9 officers find such an organisation absolutely reprehensible. Yet in this episode, Cisco does exactly what they do, actions that are morally and ethically questionable for the good and preservation of the Federation. I like how they make some of the characters in this series really push or cross that line. I'm not a big fan of his way, but it is undeniably important to the series. We needed something to push Odo and Kira together, despite both knowing Odo loves her from Children of Time, and the introduction of Vic Fontaine, who will be an important character or setting in Season 7. And yes, not to be objectifying, but Nana Visitor is hot and awesome when she sings Fever. Her version is actually my favourite of that song, maybe because of it being a teenage nostalgia watching the show in the 1990s. Valiant was also one of my favourite episodes of DS9. It's a fascinating idea to have a cadet crew that was sent out on a mission before the war started who got stuck. Since this is Star Trek, for most of the episode I was thinking they're going to pull this off and get home. But when the view screen stays of the Jem'Hadar ship, my stomach just sunk and I knew how it was going to go from there. One small pet peeve of mine that occurs in other combat episodes as well is that after they fired on the Jem'Hadar ship, even though they thought they got it, why didn't they just keep firing and pummel it like in Shattered Mirror when the Mirror Defiant just crushes the Regent's flagship? One curious thing for this episode was Nog directly outranks the acting captain but decides to just fit into the crew even when things turn and he knows they shouldn't do what they're doing. I've read a few articles that talk about the Valiant being deployed on its mission before Nog was commissioned, so they had no way to verify him or that the crew wouldn't follow Nog after being so loyal to Watters. Thanks for the podcast, gent. Cheers, Chip. I See, I still think that's just rationalising what was a massive plot problem with that episode, that really Nog should have said, I'm a ranking officer, shut up, you're obeying me, let's go home. Should have, but the problem was he was enamored. Yes. He loved them. Loved. He did. Like Bill with Olivia Newton John. Just to bring this episode full circle. <laughs> no, I guess that's it for this time. What are we doing next time? Next time, our all new episode of Listen to the Prophet. It's the changing face of evil, which is almost an episode of Doctor Who. Overwhelmed by the enemy. The brave. They seem unstoppable. On the edge of defeat. Poor Captain Sisko. The balance of power. We need to buy some time. Time may be the one thing we don't have. 
may be overturned. With a victory or two, all Cardassia will rise up with us. By a single defection. Can we really hope to defeat the Dominion? On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yes. Yes, it is. It was. Changes. Changing the face of evil to changes. <laughs> Look out, you parades. Anyway, on that sour note. <laughs> <laughs> on that bombshell. We'll say goodbye to you this time, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye. I'm a breen. Listen to the prophets at Deep Space Nine podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the twotruefreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. Is there any good things going on in the world? There has to be, because all, all the news is is garbage. So I, I don't really, I try not to watch anymore. It's what's the point? I'm, I'm done with the news. I even cut back on Facebook. That's right. I, I, I be- muted the word Snyder Cut on Twitter last week, and my Twitter is so much nicer now. <laughs>